Well, it's good to be with you today. And uh, just give me a minute as I set up these chairs because you never know uh, who's going to show up here at Getwell. So uh, this is just uh, something we'll be talking about a little bit later on. Uh, but thanks so much for being part of uh, our worship today. And I want to say a special shout out to our uh, dads today. Happy Father's Day. Woo. I'm blessed today. I surprised my grandkids and my daughter and son-in-law showed up and I had no idea. But one of the blessings of being a dad is that you get to watch them grow up physically and they developed not only their uh, talents and their personality, but you get to see them grow into the people that they are. And that's such a blessing uh, as a dad, but even greater, uh, the blessing of watching them grow up spiritually. And uh, that's what it's all about. Also uh, for today, uh, I want to just say to our dads, thank you for leading uh, your families and for asking us how can you do that better? We can all do it better. But uh, grateful to lock arms with you and just do life with each and every one of you. Uh, it was 20 years ago on this Sunday that I stepped behind this pulpit at Getwell for the first time. It was Father's Day. And then Father's Day, we came in here, and I look back over those, can't believe it's been 20 years, and I, I think about what we've been through, and I'm reminded of uh, Dr. Seuss's book, Oh, the Places We Will Go. And I've looked back, and I've thought about the journey that we have been over over the 20 years, and uh, I can assure you that, you know, where we are today, looking back over all the places that we have been, uh, and what we've walked through together, uh, for us as a church or individually or even for me and my family, I'm not sure we would have signed up for some of that. Uh, but here's what we have learned in that journey. We have learned that God is faithful. God is so good. And when we're obedient to where he leads us, he's going to pour out blessings all over us that we cannot even imagine. And we will continue continue to just lift that up as we understand the lessons that God has taught us over the last 20 years. Uh, and if you're wondering uh, that if Becky and I would do this journey again with you, uh, we would. But I want to tell you, thank you for your prayers on behalf of Becky and me, for your encouragement, for uh, your support. Uh, I look forward to what God has for all of us. Uh, in the years that lie ahead. We are in this sermon series that Jonathan mentioned uh, about Psalm 23. And anytime we mention Psalms, we realize that um, our mind goes right to Psalm 23 because it is a Psalm of Psalms. It is a creme de la creme. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And then we have these words in verse 5 that you'll see on the screen where it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup overflows. Uh, there's so many strong, powerful images that we're going to look at today in that particular verse. And as we look and move toward that, I, I want to share with you, I, I just love military history. I love reading about it. And I came across the, the story of a chaplain that was on a ship that was about to disembark all of these soldiers over the side, over the netting there into the landing craft that they were going to attack a beach. And he was there to give them comfort. And so as he was there to give them comfort with the uncertain future that was before them, he gave them a permanent ink pen. And on the palm of their hand, they wrote five words. They wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. And it was a visual reminder that they were in God's hands. And he said, just to affirm what you knew and for the comfort that you had in that uncertain future that was before you, you would look at it and you would say, the Lord is my shepherd and then a thumbs up that everything would be okay. Well, after the battle, they were collecting those who had given the ultimate price. And the last statement of faith that those men had on that beach, they had person after person after person with a thumbs up. And I thought about where you are and what you're dealing with, the battles that I face, places that we really don't want to walk through or be, and maybe a greeting that we give to one another, the Lord's my shepherd. Everything is going to be okay. So we look at Psalm 23 today. And as we do, uh, we understand that King David was the one who wrote this psalm. Uh, many of the biblical scholars believe that he was uh, up in his age, and he was reflecting, reviewing, looking back over his life, uh, identifying where God had just been uh, so much to him and what he understood God to be, who he understood God to be. And I have them. As I've read and reread this psalm, I have this image in my mind of this older King David just sitting there, possibly rocking back and forth, just reviewing his life and just sharing what he knew of God. Because David knew that God was a God who leads him. Uh, God was a God who makes him. A God was a God who restores his soul. Uh, a God who takes him around the sa safe path and not up the steep cliff like we've, the shortcut like we studied the first week. Or last week where uh, God was a God who leads him in the valley of the shadow of death. An actual geographical location that's in Israel. In which the path through that valley is so dark that the only way that you can see the path where to walk is when the sun is directly over, above you. And so the many times that David possibly walked through that valley of the shadow of death, he knew that as long as God was above him, that he had no fear. So today, David continues to review who he understands God to be. And he writes these words in verse 5, that he prepares a table before me. 
What is it that we find in David's words today? What is it that we might can be so familiar with the words that we don't understand the true meaning that are in his words? I think it's like this. Uh, just as the shepherd had led uh, us on this safe, calculated path to the top of the mountain where there's food to eat, just as the shepherd has led us by still waters, by green pastures, through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd now leads the sheep through a new place that they can be, a, a place that opens up uh, that is known as a table or table, table land. A better visual might be for us to understand an idea of a flat land that's before the sheep. They've gone through the valley, so now they're coming out to a pasture-type uh, area for uh, the sheep and for the shepherd. In the Middle Eastern language, uh, or even an African dialect, or when you look at Spanish, uh, the word for tableland or table is mesa. Uh, the mesa, the flatland, the table, the tableland is prepared. It is laid down with everything that you and I need, sheep, uh, that we would long for. Uh, we enter and the table, this expansive land is there before you. Uh, it is a table, an area, a space that the shepherd has prepared just for his sheep. But something has changed about the shepherd. I don't know if you noticed that or not in verse 5. Uh, there's something different that David lifts up about the shepherd. For David, the shepherd now takes on a new role. Uh, it's no longer just a shepherd that's caring for the sheep, that's looking after the sheep, but the shepherd now becomes a host. Uh, in this new spot of ground, he prepares a table before me. I thought that it might help us to understand this ancient image and what we're going to talk about uh, this morning for us to have a visual because I'm a visual learner. So I set up this table for us to look at and what David is sharing with us today. One thing for us to understand as we look at this table is that there are two chairs that are there. There's one for the shepherd and there's one for you or for me, a table for two. That means that no one can make a reservation for you at the table except for you. No one can say that, uh, well, I hope that I have a place at the table or say, well, later on in life, when I get everything in order, then I will find my, my way to a table possibly or think, you know, I'm good enough, and so because of my goodness, I will have a place at the table. The table doesn't work that way. The only way we have a place at the table is us by inviting him to be our shepherd. You see, the shepherd waits for your invitation, for him to be your shepherd, because it comes down to this. He paid for that table. He bought it with his life's blood. The table, bottom line, is not a table, but the table represents a relationship. A relationship between you and your shepherd. So how do we make our reservation for him to be our shepherd at this table? 
Well, Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe with our heart, then we are saved. That simple action of faith and belief on our part. It puts us at the seat uh, for Him to be our shepherd, our host, who has prepared everything that we need for this life and for eternity to come uh, in this relationship that we have with Him. So, are there any questions about that? Have you made a decision that you want to be at this table? Well, if you have, I, I want to move over here because uh, David describes three things that we can find at this table, at this relationship that we have uh, with the shepherd. The first thing that we find uh, in this is that there's a cup that overflows. I like the way that the New Living Testament says it, that my cup of blessing brims over. On the screen, I ask our tech team to put up an image for you to just kind of see. Uh, the blessings of God in the cup is never ending. It doesn't just come to the brim, but it overflows and overflows and runs over. And we look at the blessings that God has for us in this life and David's words are a challenge for us not to limit what God wants to do for us individually or for what he wants to do for us as a church. Because why is it that the blessings are overflowing? Well, the way I understand it is because in God's eyes, uh, there's a saucer. A saucer for those blessings to run over and a place for those blessings to go. Because God knows where those blessings need to go. They can go to a family member. They can go to a friend. They can go to a co-worker. They can go to the person that is at Kroger or Target. Uh, it's for us to understand that those blessings that overflow uh, are to be given away. Uh, that's why he fills up our cup, our shepherd, our host, with the blessings that he has for us. I came across a sign, and the sign simply said, when God gives you more than you deserve, you don't build a bigger fence, you build a bigger table. Now, that's a head-scratcher. What, what does that mean? It means when God blesses you more with what you've been given, that you don't try to isolate you don't, don't try to hoard it. You don't try to keep it to yourself. But the blessings that flow into the saucer are to be given away. Because the spiritual principle of the overflow is that we are stewards of the overflow. And bless people, bless people. Do we understand this? It's one of the things David saw as he looked back on his life of what would happen in his life for us to see as well as we sit in relationship at the table uh, with God. Another image that David lifts up in this verse deals with that he anoints my head with oil. As we look at the table and what's before us, uh, what does it mean that he anoints my head with oil? 
Well, probably a better understanding for us to get uh, is the uh, background of what it means to anoint my head with oil. Something that only a shepherd would understand as he tends his sheep. As a sheep entered this tableland, this grand expanse, uh, airy pasture-like area that had everything that the sheep needed, uh, the shepherd knew that there were natural predators. Uh, that they were uh, lions, there were bears, there were wolves that were there, and they were, lived in the crevices and the rocks and the crags that were there uh, for an opportunity just to come and take advantage of the sheep. And so as they entered into this expanse of land, uh, they had to have a watchful eye uh, for these natural predators. But there was another natural predator that the shepherd had to take care of as well. And that was uh, snakes or adders. And so as the, the shepherd walked into this new expanse of land, uh, he went across all that area and he mashed down with his feet uh, the snake holes that were there. And he had a white powder that he would sprinkle around the snake hole in order to have a snake repellent. I would like some of that. But there was another natural predator that the shepherd had to take care of as well on, on this tableland. And that was a flower, a white flower known as white kamas. The sheep loved to nibble on the flowers of this white kamas, but it caused the sheep uh, to be paralyzed. And so the shepherd had to walk through and had to get all of those flowers off of those, uh, from that pasture-type area. So the shepherd had a lot to do uh, in protecting the sheep. I mean, you think about it. You had lions and wolves. Uh, you had bears. Uh, you had the uh, white kamas. You had snakes. But none of those were as deadly for the sheep as the smallest of things that would attack the sheep. And that was a nasal fly. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, seriously. You see, a sheep doesn't have the ability like other animals uh, to take its leg up and to uh, wipe its nose uh, and to keep flies from coming and entering their nasal cavity. Because the nasal fly would enter the nasal cavity and work its way up toward the brain. And there it would spend its time at the brain, driving the sheep crazy. And the only way that the sheep knew to uh, keep that from happening is that they would go up to a tree or to a rock and they would begin to bang their head against the rock, causing death. And so it wasn't the big predators that caused the sheep the most death, but it was the tiniest of things, a small nasal fly. And so the shepherd would anoint the nasal cavity of each of the sheep, anoint the head of the sheep as a protection that to keep uh, that nasal fly from entering. And so that was one of the protections that the shepherd had. 
The thing that we need to understand is this. Our enemy, Satan, he wants us to die a death of a thousand paper cuts. Things that aggravate, things that irritate us, things that drive us crazy, that cause us to beat our head against the wall. But yet our shepherd who anoints our head with oil. He's taking care of the tiniest of things. The most minute things. He wants to be part of that in our life. So, here at the table, we have a cup that overflows, and he anoints my head with oil. But there's a third image here that we want to look at. Where is this table Placed in the presence of my enemies. Really. Isn't that a crazy location that he would put it? Uh, there at the location with enemies. Let's see. We've got two chairs here. And we don't want to miss this. Because here at the table, we want to understand the close proximity that we have with the shepherd. Uh, yet, they, even though it's a table for two, David says that this table is set in the presence of the enemies. Why? Seems so strange. Because you know, David knows, I know, that as we are trying to enter into this relationship with our shepherd, there are other enemies that are trying to pull up and distract us from this relationship. Uh, enemies that want us to um, be distracted and look away and to have a distance in this relationship. Uh, you know your enemies, I know my enemies, but they're always around, aren't they? David knew that as well. The enemies that are wanting to pull up at this table. Uh, what are enemies? Well, if you're writing this down, uh, enemies are anything that causes us to be distracted, anything that causes to marginalize me, make me feel less than, uh, or pushes me down or distracts my focus from the proximity uh, that I have with the shepherd. I'm sure you can name uh, the enemies that try to pull up a chair uh, here at your table. I had to name my enemies, just a, just a few for us today. Uh, maybe you can identify with the enemies that try to have access at your table that are trying to get at my table. One of those enemies uh, for me uh, that I named was uh, the, the chair of people. Not, not people in general. I, I love people. But in my life, I know that there are people that want to pull up into uh, this area to distract, marginalize, distract me from my relationship with him, uh, that are just critical and toxic people. And they just want to scoot up uh, next to me. I, I may not know these people. I may know them. I may hear their voices on TV or listen to them on the radio. And I begin to uh, hear their words and then all of a sudden, 
their words become my words and their thoughts become my thoughts. And those are not my thoughts, but yet they're trying to come up to, to my table. Uh, I also know that there are people that are just miserable. And they're not happy unless someone else is miserable. Now, I don't do social media, and I won't do sp social media, but many of you do. And there are people who sit behind a keyboard, and they can do all kind of manner of evil, and they don't have to own up to it. And they're trying to get up to your table. But I also know that there are people uh, that are those trying to distract me from this relationship, that they are saying to me that the only way that you're going to be accepted in this life is if you begin to uh, behave like me, act like me, think like me. And that is bunk. It's a table for two. Your eyes cannot be on people that are vying for a place at your table. It's a table for two. Because our focus has to be on our Savior. So what we need to do is we need to fold up that chair. And we need to put it at the feet of our shepherd. And I looked at an, another chair that's trying to scoot up. And trying to find access that marginalizes me. And it's my past. Because there's a voice on my shoulder that continues to say to me, uh, you call yourself a Christian and you did that, you participated in that, you were part of that. And that voice just camps out on my shoulder. And it begins to say uh, to me that you don't even have a place at the table because of uh, all the insecurities, all the inabilities that you are. And that's when I just understand that I get to say to that chair, <laughs> that past that is haunting me. I don't care what you say. I only stand what he says because of that past that I had. I am a different person and I'm a new person that is in him. So I just fold up that tape. And I put it down. And so I have people and I also have my past and I have pain. And I think about the pain that I have in my life. And because there's pain in my life, it just has a void in a uh, hole in my life. And uh, I'd like you to try to fill it with all different things. But the only thing that will find wholeness in my life is my Savior that's sitting right there. And so I just fold up that chair that's right there. But I have another chair that tries to inch up and distract me and marginalize me. And that's proclamation. I mean, I've got people, I have pain, I have past, I have proclamation. Because in the proclamation, uh, the voice is saying to me, uh, Bill, you never will measure up. I have had people say to me, you are not the person that will ever achieve anything. I don't even know why you're trying. And I have people that have proclaimed voices over me that it's like an echo chamber that I have heard for decades. I am 66 years old. And I've allowed that voice to try to find access to the table. And what I've learned, that when Satan sitting on my shoulder is saying those things about me, that is trying to marginalize me and trying to talk to me about my past, I just remind him about his future. 
But I also understand that when I have proclamations of what people are saying to me, that you will never measure up because you are nothing that I can say, well, I want to go by what he says. Because he has said to me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he has said in him, all things are possible. Because he has said to me that you are mine. And no one can snatch you out of my hand. And so I just fold up that table. And so I think about this relationship that I have with my shepherd and the proximity that we have. And understanding all of those things. (laughs) I hear those voices. And I say to that proclamation, I say to that pain, I say to that past, I say to those people... I'm not letting you have access to my table because my focus is now on my shepherd because I'm not going to beat my head against those things because when I have a focus on my shepherd, then I understand that I shall not want. When I have a focus on my shepherd, I can walk in green pastures. When I have a focus on my shepherd, then I know that he leads me beside still waters. When I have a focus on my shepherd, that he anoints my head with oil. That when I have a focus on my shepherd, that I understand that he leads me in path of righteousness. That when I have a focus on my shepherd, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he, he is with me. He has prepared a table for us. And so as I focus on this shepherd and this relationship, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I now have purpose and I have a plan for my life that is found in this relationship and not in any of this bunk that is in my life. The enemies. No, I don't. I wonder... Anyone here today need to fold up some chairs? Anyone here today just need to clank it, put it at the feet of the shepherd? I think about King David rocking back and forth, looking back over his life, And him understanding the same power that was provided for him back then would be the same power provided for you and me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The Lord is my shepherd. Anybody else? Let's stand as I pray. In this place, oh Lord, be present. Thanks for being our shepherd. Thanks for all you do for us. May we deepen our table land with you, our relationship with you. It's in the sweet name of Jesus I pray. And the people of Get Well said, Amen. Altar rails are open.
Clinton's going to lead us. Same power. May we sing it out. May we proclaim it. May we fold up chairs. May we do the business that he has asked of us today. Let's sing together.